All right, greetings everyone and welcome to another episode of CLTV at Educator Innovator. It is August 14th, 2017 and I'm your host Kate Bysteel. I'm a program associate at the National Writing Project and today we're going to have a conversation about uh, post-emergent library maker spaces. Um, we're going to explain what that is and we're also going to talk about a framework that we've developed to think through this very specific phase of a maker spaces life. Um, thanks for joining us today, and a special thanks again to all of you, the three of you guests, for making the time to be here. Um, I wanted to start off with a round of introductions. So give us your name, um, maybe describe uh, where you work and the program you run, and how long it's been going. Sorry, this is a lot of stuff. How long it's been going and how it plugs into making in the maker movement. Um, Kathy, do you want to start? Sure. I'm Kathy Cormier. I am a librarian and the program manager at The Mix at SFPL, the San Francisco Public Library's teen space. We launched in 2015 after a youth-led design process, and we have an amazing space here in San Francisco, and we've had some growing and growing challenges, and so I'm eager and excited to join this conversation today. Great, Lindsay, do you want to go next? Uh, my name is Lindsay Runyon. I work for Multnomah County Library in Portland, Oregon. Um, we operate the Rockwood Library Makerspace, which is a teen space in our, one of our branch locations in East Multnomah County. Um, we opened in April of 2016 after a year of programming in another space, um, in a dedicated space. So we've been open now for about two years doing programming um, and we're just coming out of a grant phase. So we're facing a lot of new challenges now, which I hope to talk about today. That leaves me. So my name is Corey Wittig. I am, as of today, a librarian at the Falk Laboratory School at the University of Pittsburgh. Over the last six years, I was the digital learning lead librarian for Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh and program manager of the labs, which is CLP's teen learning lab. And we did, you know, from fabrication to digital media stuff, like all over the map, like a lot of the U media spaces. And we started programming in September, 2012. So just about to hit five years of programming there. Great, thank you so much. Um, so, all of these folks are part of a network called the Umedia Learning Labs Network, which is a network of about 30 libraries, museums, one school setting, one community center. Um, they're all over the US from Billings, Montana to Miami to Houston to San Francisco. And um, it is housed, the network is housed at the National Writing Project. So that's how I fit into all of all of this work and I help to connect all of these people to each other and get them to learn and share from each other. Um, so I can talk a little bit about the UMedia Learning Labs Network, um, sort of what we always say like what makes UMedia so UMedia-y and I think there are different takes on it and there's certainly so we have like a, a more formal hallmarks document that's more of an extended admission statement but I think like the way that I interpret it and the way that I tell that I tell other people about the UMedia Learning Labs Network is that it's, um, it is these spaces that, well, it's rooted in research from Mimi Ito, um, 
and that began with MacArthur around like 2009, 2010. And uh, it's thinking about how can we use all of these spaces in libraries and museums that are targeted towards teen learning and think about them as active creative spaces as opposed to spaces of consumption, which is what libraries are typically thought of. And this kind of ties in nicely with our conversation today on making um, because it kind of takes the idea of libraries and turns them on their heads. Um, and going back to the media network, uh, I guess, well, one thing I wanted to ask you all, and maybe this will help to kind of illustrate what the media network is, is how you all as librarians have tied into it. Can you, can a couple of you describe the way that you connect to the media network and like what you, what it's useful for and how you've contributed to it? Lindsay, you want to go? <laughs> we unmuted this. Sure. Um, so when we were starting to plan our space, um, luckily we had some folks, our teen services specialist has been involved in U Media Learning Labs Network since maybe it was born. Um, but when I came in, I was brand new to this kind of work and she plugged me in. I was able to get a lot of questions answered about like how to start a space like this um, from the community of practice, which is on like an online discussion and resource sharing website. Um, I think also I've had the opportunity to travel a ton to meet other U Media folks in person um, to sort of talk about the same kind of issues. I don't know if this is true of everyone, but um, I'm the only one of me who does my job in my library. So a lot of times there's not people to bounce ideas off of, um, but I think in the network, we all do a similar thing and work with a similar population. So it's really easy to find people that have experienced the same thing um, and sort of problem solve in that way. You know, Corey probably has more to add. I, you just said all my things. So yeah, I just, <laughs> no, I think that's very telling though, because anyone I know that's been involved in the network has all, you know, appreciates all those things and has, you know, grown in their practice through having access to other folks from the network and all the great resources and conversations that happen on the community of practice, for sure. Um, so yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Uh, in addition to adding on to what both Corey and Lindsay said, I wanted to mention a great opportunity through the community of practice is facilitated conversations online. So earlier this year, KFI facilitated a conversation between our lab here in San Francisco, along with Lindsay and her team to talk about some challenges and onboarding new stuff in addition to just the daily challenges you have doing, as KFI mentioned, this work that is very different for libraries. So often when you're a space like this, you're the only space in your library that is doing this and everyone's sort of looking to you for all the answers and the examples yet you yourself are learning every day and going through um, I know we'll talk about this more sort of an adolescence phase of development so um, it's really great to have this community to know that we're all in this together and we're all learning together every single day yeah, and one other thing that I think is makes the media network different from other traditional library networks or other existing library networks is that the media network also has museums and other different kinds of institutions. So it's you're serving the same population, like generally like teenagers, but you're um, able to have conversations with practitioners in other kinds of spaces, other kinds of community spaces. 
So in going with like really thinking about connective learning, what are ways that we can work together to serve youth in our communities best? And then what is what does it look like across the field? What does it look like nationally? Who else is doing this? And what can we learn from each other? Um, one other thing that I think is pretty special about UMedia is this uh, is uh, a way that we have all rethought staffing and staffing roles, especially in spaces like institutions, like libraries, like who gets to work at a library, who gets to um, run programs at a library. And with UMedia, it's not always necessarily librarians. Um, it's this role called a mentor position. So it's usually community artists or I mean, not necessarily limited to artists, like community people who come in, or we say like near peer mentors that come in and can really develop meaningful relationships with young people and help them to cultivate and identify what their interests might be and point them towards other opportunities within the community and nationally. Um, so let's dive into talking about uh, the post-emergent moment in a library makerspace's life. And so we got a little bit of money from IMLS to do this in-depth action research project for about a year. And Corey was on the team in Pittsburgh. Um, so it was Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, uh, Anything Library in Thornton, Colorado, the Billings Public Library and the Lynn Public Library in Massachusetts. And we spent about a year uh, doing this action research project, but I guess I wanted to give it over to you, Corey, and hear from your perspective. Can you describe what the post-emergent moment is and maybe uh, give some context from your experience in thinking it through? Sure. So Kathy alluded to this kind of adolescence met as a way of understanding metaphorically uh, what, what's going on in a library makerspace in the post-emergent moment. So the way I remember we talked about it a lot during the project was, you know, there were a bunch of resources out there for how do you start a makerspace, a library makerspace, you know, what are the, what's the stuff? What are sort of the, you know, best practices for, for staffing it and all that type of thing. And I remember we were looking a lot to the making and learning project out of the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh, which is a, a museum makerspace, but we were noticing too that a lot of those startup um, resources existed could really speak to making in a lot of different contexts. Um, but you know, we were seeing a lot of that that stuff in existence. And what we were noticing was, as you were, we were around two, three plus years doing this kind of thing, like these different pro these different problems of practice were were coming up that we needed to address. So, like adolescence, you know, you are you've been around on this earth for a while, you're competent in all the basic stuff, but things are starting to get more complicated um, and the problems you're encountering, you know, don't have such an easy answer. So in that way, the post-emergent moment was, you know, getting at like, how are you dealing with administrators? How are you dealing with getting to, so in the Hamago framework of the hanging out, messing around, geeking out, had to get to the geeking out part, you know, all these more complex partnerships and you know, getting buy-in from administrators and all that kind of thing. Um, other folks, feel free to jump in as you can and don't mind the running kids. I'm in a school. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I could add one thing that yeah. I thought was pretty interesting about um, thinking about, yeah, like, and I don't think we need to harp on the adolescence phase anymore, but it's like when you approach this phase of having a library maker space, the problems that you encounter are more nuanced. It's not so much like 
what 3D printer do we buy? It's like the person who convinced us to buy the 3D printer, who knows everything about running a 3D printer, has left and gone to another job. And now we have no idea how to do anything with this 3D printer. It's like those kinds of details. Or it's like, you know, we... Um, what, what is another example? Like we, uh, our administration loves our program and really wants us to spread our program to other, like the 54 other library branches that we have. How do we do that if we don't have more people? It's like thinking about problems like that as opposed to that sort of like side up, the startup excitement, really expansive mode. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. And something I know that we are thinking about with the framework too that kept coming around was that it was a, a structure for labs to work through these kind of problems, but it was also a structure to talk about this phase, um, you know, within your library or within the network. And that was really useful as well. And as far as the framework as a tool, it was a really novel thing for libraries because you know, it's really rare that we're able to really pause and reflect and you know, research our own practice in a way to improve our programs. Um, you know, that's just something that doesn't come along. Or in my experience in the last few years, at best, you're bringing in outside researchers to do that. You're not really getting a chance to kind of do that work yourself. And the research teams we put together as a part of this were really cool too. It was always a pairing of one of those mentors, like near peer mentors, the KFI was mentioning and an administrator. So at my site, it was one of our mentors and myself as program manager. And for one thing, the mentors that we hire at our sites rarely get to go to national PD opportunities. So that was a really cool thing about this too, which leads me to thinking about what the work looked like over the year doing this project. And KFI, you might have some of the finer points if I miss any, but it was, it was pretty um, straightforward, you know, we got together three times, I believe, talked about, you know, what it, what we thought that post-emergent moment was, you know, what, what that looked like to us in our different sites. And we were finding a lot of this overlap. And from that, those discussions and that thought of the, what, where we overlapped, we started to build out what that framework looked like. Um, and we used a lot of the National Writing Project um, kind of tools as a way of reflecting on that and worked around to coming up with a pretty nifty framework, I think, that you can get to at uh, postemergent.umedia.org. We broke the framework down into four different areas. They are getting to geeking out, finding your place, all hands on deck, and running a tight ship. So, and we all wrote up some different case studies that you can access on the site there to get a sense of you know, what that part of the post-emergent phase might look like and you know, maybe identifying where your lab is within that. Really, I think it's not gonna be a surprise if you find that you are overlapping in a few of these different areas. Getting to geeking out for us was, and this seemed to be something that was coming up everywhere, was you, know, you get that hanging out and messing around stuff down in your lab, but you're having trouble getting to really deeper learning in an informal space. Finding your place, uh, I was thinking of it more as, you know, defining who you are and the services you provide. So, you know, our lab, we tried to do a really wide variety of things. As we expanded, we started kind of zeroing in on different types of things. 
all hands on deck was really getting the buy-in from the administrators. Um, a lot of the pressures that are identified related to expanding programming and staffing capacity and running a tight ship. That's where the case studies on, you know, providing relevant youth programs, expanding programs, supporting new administrative leadership and capacity building, that type of thing. Anyone else? Am I missing anything in there? No, I think that's good. I think one other funny thing that happened was really struggled with finding an anagram at one point and being able to like kind of put this all together with a bow. But I think of the framework as definitely, so it's a really useful tool to be able to, again, like help you identify the phase that you're in and really get some stories and like case studies on um, like you might be experiencing something, something similar to this. Another metaphor that we were kind of throwing around was thinking about um, the post-emergent moment as kind of like a game board, like something like, I think we were trying to throw together a Candyland metaphor at some point, but basically like there are these moments that you're going to encounter and they're not necessarily good, they're not necessarily bad, but they're going to happen. You're going to experience your administration telling you that you need to expand to other programs. You're going to experience this moment where you're like, we need to rethink our mission statement. Um, and like in adolescence, if you're not prepared for it, you might encounter some big changes that are going to be pretty scary if you're not anticipating them. So I guess um, I wanted to also talk, well, so now I wanted to get like Lindsay and Kathy actually talking about their programs. And we wanted to work through maybe a couple of examples of things that you're experiencing and then use them. We're always testing the framework. It's always expanding. So I'd love to hear some examples of like things that you're experiencing in your makerspace and see how they, how the framework holds up against them and how we could use the framework as a tool to really think some of these issues through. I'm happy to start. Uh, so the mix, as I mentioned, has been open since June of 2015 after um, we were, I think, one of the first labs to have a youth-driven process from the very beginning. So the design of the space was actually led by youth, and so then it took us a while after that phase to actually have all the ducks in a row to actually open the space, but we did. And for the first in terms of we I think we've hit all of those post-emergent aspects at the beginning and we're continuing to hit them as we go through different phases but the big issue was when we opened we really didn't have enough staff to open the lab so we tried to combat it in various ways uh, we have mentors in a sense that we've had our youth mentors it, those are people who had elevated from what we called the board of advising youth that was what we called our youth design team that actually designed the space some of those people had graduated from high school and were sticking around town and we were able to hire them for paid internship positions at the San Francisco Public Library which was a brand new thing for us and it was really wonderful for us and really wonderful for them but that added another layer of um, staffing that was very very new to the organization plus a whole mentoring situation that they're designed to be peer mentors but also mentors for teens who are there in the space so all of this new stuff happening together opening of a new space adding new staff and we didn't really have enough staff to be open as much as administration had hoped for us to be open. So um, I'm gonna jump forward to the current situation, which is finally um, in early, mid 2017, we opened to seven days a week, like many of our library, actually all of our libraries here in San Francisco are now seven days a week, which is amazing. 
the mix also, like the rest of the main library, is now open seven days a week. And in order to do that, we advocated to add new staff. And specifically, we're very in a very fortunate situation that we were actually able to add librarians, youth service librarians, teen librarians, <clears throat> excuse me, to our team. So that now we grew, we doubled our staff very very quickly. We went from having three librarians to having six librarians, including myself. And so what that does is um, any of you who have been librarians or I think even teachers or leaders in any situation that you're in, uh, typically a youth librarian at a branch situation or maybe in another department in a children's room in a teen room, usually you're the one person who's kind of in charge of your domain. And so even though everybody was very excited in theory to do all of this new work that was grounded in the community of practice and the new media hallmarks and homology and getting around to geeking out and really having it be youth driven. Uh, the concept of that versus the reality of doing it day to day has been a real challenge. And so we're in a situation now where we're trying to make sure that everybody is on the same page and really it's a combination of finding your place, all hands on deck, running a tight ship. The getting to geeking out is actually beautiful because now we do have this new staff that's able to encourage the teams that are here in the space to do more. So that I think we're really running um, well. However, all uh, just any recommendations of how to get everybody to feel empowered to be the leaders that they are, yet at the same time really step back so that the youth can be the ones who are really driving what happens here in this space. Would be appreciated. What do you all think? What do you what's surfacing for you as you hear Kathy describing this? It sounds like an embarrassment of riches in terms of staffing. I mean, I definitely hear the, the um, issue because I think it's similar in other library systems that I've been at where it's like you have control over your little like teen department or youth department and then coming in and actually I've faced this while coming from like a small library system to a, like a large library system where the emphasis is on collaboration and teamwork and um, not stepping on toes. Um, I think I, you know, maybe there needs to be some more team building or maybe clarif clarification of roles. I think for us in our space, um, we just also added another staff person that has more time and it's been really interesting because like the administrative duties like figuring out who does what um and like nobody likes scheduling but who's gonna do it and who's good at it um has been really interesting to figure out for us so i don't know maybe um having a division of labor in some ways and then also being able to trade off those tasks so nobody's like stuck doing the most terrible thing for too long. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Yeah, that's all super helpful. And actually, what's interesting is I've realized that my big role now, I have been stepping back myself and observing and really seeing my role as a coach. And really, this is where the hallmarks and all of this post-emergent work really comes in as a great template for us to use to redefine and reground ourselves as we are for example we have just we were running on i'd say the duct tape model of hey let's do a ton of programs corey was alluding to it before where we had so many 
different programs. And um, it was really confusing and challenging to stay on top of them all. And now we're really scaling back and we're really trying to make it so that finally, because as Kate, as Kate, I mentioned that we have this embarrassment of riches, that we can just be there to really facilitate the youth-driven learning that we hope happens in the space when the teens want to come in and do what they want to do versus having all of these cookie-cutter things that we do. And so a lot of that division of labor, a lot of that is actually aligning right now, but um, clarifying who does what, make sure that nobody, one person gets stuck with the grunt work. Those are things that we're definitely actively thinking about and talking about, but that, yes, that's super helpful. Yeah, and that's just reminds me of the all hands on deck stuff specifically, but it kind of touches across a bunch of these things. Because I mean, at all hands on deck to me reminds me of the beginning of our, our sites launching where everybody does everything and everybody is usually a very small amount of people. And you know, I was the program manager, but when I started, I was also staffing all of our open lab time and writing grants and doing all this kind of thing. You know, you never get away from spinning a bunch of different plates, but you know, is your time not better use behind the scenes so you can support and and you know take some of the weight off of of some of those tasks you otherwise have to delegate to the staff you really want to just be artist mentors and be in the space with youth you know and and my program right as I was transitioning I feel like we were really just starting to get that ironed out by getting teen specialists who were not lab staff specifically you know starting to take on more of the responsibility of of working in the program and working alongside our mentors. And that can be a real trick too of something that begins as a grant funded thing, which a lot of these initiatives are, is it's like, oh, this is like a nice extra thing we have here developing on the side. Well, it's not going to become a real key part of your library, your learning lab isn't, unless you know it starts being more shared across um, non-grant staff, you know, and that's the responsibilities, that's you know the skills share that needs to happen. And a lot of our post-emergent projects were digging into that. Um, Lindsay, do you, I was going to say, this seems like a good transition to what you had alluded to, um, going from a, from a program that was grant funded mm -hmm. to non-grant funded. Do you want to mm -hmm. talk about that or do you want to, maybe you wanted to talk about something else? No, I, well, <laughs> I was just going to say that um, also what's been helpful for us is having like some kind of reflection process where staff have time to like process. I think often in our sites, we are going, 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 and doing so many programs and are with youth constantly and we don't allow ourselves to slow down and like, talk about what's working and what's not working. And um, so I think having some kind of practice and we're still working on what that's gonna look like for us. We've talked about having like an end of day log or, I mean, we have staff meetings where we spend a significant amount of time um, checking in. But anyway, that, that's all I wanted to add. But um, as KFI said, um, my program is going from being grant funded. We were very lucky to have a grant to build our space and to pay for programming and equipment and supplies. And now suddenly we don't have that anymore. We do have a foundation that's still paying for our programming, um, but we're figuring out now that we're not grant funded, it's like this floodgate has opened um, and there are a lot of uh, priorities that the library is sort of like don't you want to do adult programming now? <laughs> um, which is uh, complicated things for us because when we had a grant, our priorities were really clear um, because they were set out to begin with. And now we have to make our own priorities and mission and values 
um, and they have to align to the like larger library goal in order to remain relevant. So I think we're facing sort of that and one particular piece of that, and I just was dealing with an email this morning from someone, um, is there is a lot of requests for additional adult programming, but we have, you know, like limited staff capacity and we primarily serve teens. That's been our role for the past three years. So it's really interesting to think about like, how do you incorporate adults? Uh, does it remain a teen space when you incorporate adult programming in how much of that is, uh, does the community want and how much of that is like our like duty to provide? So that's what I'm dealing with. We started um, offering some, it's really interesting too, there is no problem getting adults to geek out. I feel like it's really interesting. Like kids want to hang out and mess around. Adults do not want to mess around and they feel really uncomfortable. In these sort of structures. I think so that's why the, the sort of like digital media lab model existed before the learning lab model. I mean, in my experience, because it was like, oh yeah, we can have a space that adults can just sign in and use stuff that they need and don't have at home. But, you know, and that seems like what our kind of like adult lab stuff that's developing is, is starting to look like. Our adult programming coordinator I need to stop saying our because I'm not working there anymore <laughs> at COP though, is, is looking at, you know, they want to add some of those hanging out, messing around kind of vibes, especially for like young adults, because that's the way they've become accustomed to in being involved in the library. But I hear you, Lindsay, because there's that thing when people start saying at your library, you know, I want to do this with, a, with adults now, we want to do this with younger kids. You know, part of me always felt like, wow, like, great. Well, they, they like what we're doing. They're excited about it. So that's a good thing. But on the other end, it's, you know, it's pulling from your capacity to, to do something we still haven't completely. It's not like we've perfected the model, you know, even in our team programming. Uh, I agree uh, with Corey and Lindsay. I just want to say one of the things that we have done at the San Francisco Public Library to address these issues, just to start to address them right now, is we just created a transitional age youth committee to figure out how we can add some of these services in an intentional way because as Corey mentioned, and as you know, just how much time it takes just to go, go, go with having the programs that you have before you even think about expanding them because of course and in particular there is that interest in our community for the young adults for the transitional age youth so we have a couple of pilot programs that we've been doing here on tuesday morning we do something called remix where we have a partnership with a um, youth service organization called larkin street youth services where they uh, we allow the youth who are part of that community up to age 26 to come in and use in space and just hang out in the space and take advantage of the different studio spaces that we have and so that's like a specific time so i think think having a specific limited time might be a useful way to scale up in a way that doesn't cause too much burden to your administration of just running your day-to-day -day program. So that might be one approach you could try. Yeah, so as, as Corey also mentioned, I think I'm definitely seeing in looking at the post-emergent framework, I'm pretty, I'm seeing your program fit squarely into finding your place. So it's like, find, like, how do you find your place both within your larger community? Like, are you meeting your community's needs? But also, how do you fit in terms of like your own institution and getting institutional buy-in and getting your institution to okay the programs that you're doing and um, like 
making sure that you're also meeting their requirements and their needs. Um, I think about, uh, you know, it, it's when we, when I, I so I, I used to work at the Free Library of Philadelphia and I ran the um, teen program that was there, the media space that was there. And we were always kind of like butting heads with the administration because like we were kind of described as, as, as like these horses that you have to hold back as opposed to like a pony that you have to like poke along. And we wanted to do too many things at once. And I think it was just like, like the word that some people use to describe us was a little bit like rogue. And I think when you're starting one of these programs, you have to make these partnerships. And if you want them to happen, it has to be something that's more you have to make them happen. It's kind of like you apologize later. I think that was like, to put it coarsely, but as the program developed and grew, it was sort of like, we have to figure out ways to fit within the larger bureaucracy that is this 54 library system. And, um, and I'm kind of curious, like what are, as you grow and develop your program and as you make these steps, like what are the things that you find necessary that are going to have to change about your space and change about the way that you do staffing and the way that you manage your program and what kind of like, I don't want to say concessions <laughs> you need to make, but what's going to change about the programs that you provide for teens to be able to fit the larger institution. Um, so I also wanted to clarify, Kathy, when you said transitional age youth, you meant teens to adults, right? Okay. Yeah, so basically um, <coughs> to roughly 25, 26. Okay, and then one other thing that I wanted to clarify with you, Lindsay, is when you say you're going from grant funded to, that means that? Yeah, so um, it means that we had a big, like, how to describe it, like a seed grant to get started, um, and that took care of um, paying for programming, paying for the uh, construction of our space, and then paying for equipment and supplies. Um, the way that Multnomah County Library does it is uh, some of the those costs are being folded into our operational budget now, and then some, we have a foundation that does fundraising for us, so some of our programming is paid for by our foundation, but it means that our priorities shift um, from that grant funder uh, which was uh, a cable regulatory commission that does, um, yes, very interesting, the funder uh, that does a community technology grant to then uh, what are the library's priorities. So actually it means that we have more freedom and we get to set them for ourselves, but then also kind of what you were saying, we have to like slow our resources down. Like we don't, we, I think the impulse is to provide everything for everybody and I think what I have to do is sort of like say the staff, we like can't do that. We need to like focus on what we're doing really well and tweak things um, instead of just like exploding, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, great, so we only have maybe about 10 minutes left and I wanted to go back to the framework and the research that went into developing the framework and um, because I think when you say like we did a year's worth of action research, it sounds very um, like very formal, like ivory tower kind of thing. And I wanted to get your perspective, Corey, on like just describing what the day to day of doing action research and maybe like the monthly process of doing it, what that looked like from your yeah. perspective. Um, 
For us, our the big project centered around creating what we called labs intensives. So like week-long programs where we did a deep collaboration with a partner. So where we were able to pay youth. Um, so in order to create like a youth leadership pro opportunity. And it was like getting to geeking out too because we wanted the programming to be like a deeper dive into the subject area. So we needed to create like new contracts and memorandum of understanding with partners. We needed to create like field trip like type documents. We needed to create a process to pay teens, which we never had paid teen positions before. Um, so the day-to-day -day was like getting together, hashing out in meetings with administrators, you know, what would have to be done to make that happen. You know, drafting up some of these documents that hadn't existed previously, reaching out to partners and like meeting with them to draft the MOU together and then, you know, running that up the flagpole at their organization. Um, you know, it was a lot of building new resources that did not <laughs> yet exist after a lot of what came out of the meetings together, other than the framework stuff, was talking about, you know, the big idea stuff. And then we would go home and break it down. And Amalia Tansor, who was like my main collaborator, <clears throat> the mentor on this project, you know, we just like divvied up what was more of a a mentor task and what was more of a you know my administrator side task and we just really hustled along to create this model that now is really being perceived as sort of a capstone thing in all of our 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 labs and each summer at least we're, we're doing one of these intensive programs which has been a you know great just um i don't know the missing component that kind of like really like formalized geeking out component that was missing from our programming um, you know, we we created a structure for it through this. Yeah, that sounds uh, so. That's amazing, <laughs> and I think the thing that kind of surfaces for me with that is, it sounds like it was really powerful for you and Amalia, like on behalf of your institution, to get this time and space away from your program to think about, like, well, what are like the missing gaps in our program, or what are we not seeing here, and how can we use those problems of practice as a way to get feedback from other people in the network on it and then maybe we can develop something out of this like what can what can we use this as an opportunity to make and continue to get feedback on from the rest of the people in the network um uh and one other thing that i thought was really interesting about the the process of doing action research was that it was really you know we met in outside of austin we all convened as a group and everyone got journals um, but it was basically like we want to be able to uh, record what's happening every day in your spaces and just notice what are what are the things that are surfacing for you and your mentors in this space and what are the common problems that you're seeing like crop up over and over and over again and there's a lot of power in just like sitting back and observing like you didn't we didn't need to make a survey we didn't need to implement something that we would have to that would be a lot of work it was really just like what do you if you were to stop and actually notice what's happening not actually notice <laughs> but like if you were to stop and look at what's happening in your space what kind of things can you learn just from watching and then what happens if we have five libraries across the country that have maker programs if they're all observing what's happening in their spaces over the period of a year and they're regularly checking in with each other what kind of themes are going to arise so that's basically how we came to this framework like looking at all of these spaces and seeing like oh these are some like pretty rough patches and we're all experiencing these things 
And I just want to plug in and say that, um, that those frameworks, not the frame, this particular framework, but the, the reflection, the writing, that kind of, a lot of the National Writing Project stuff that came to this and the National Writing Project as stewards of the media network up to this point has really helped um, reinforce something I always say to people when I'm doing talks about this programming or whatever, which is getting library staff to more identify with edu as educators, which I'm sure to educator innovator folks is not some, some big breakthrough. But, you know, it is always the impulse of like your typical library staff to be like, let's do a survey, let's do a, that kind of thing. And it can just feel like passing the buck because it, a lot of times that data doesn't feel like it's being used super well and you're kind of avoiding the real work of the thing, which is just slowing down and thinking it through and talking it through and, you know, reflecting on it and moving from what you know. Um, and that has led to, you know, some of the best programming that has happened in, in our library space. I feel like that is a really awesome note to close on. <laughs> um, Lindsay and Kathy, do you have anything else that you want to add to that? No pressure. Uh, I just want to say that I uh, concur with Corey and the journaling process. I had an opportunity to go to the pre-ALA convening to talk about the post-emergent work, and it was really a wonderful touchstone for me to be able to reflect, but also be reminded of that importance of journaling and getting everyone just to slow down and not as Lindsay mentioned before, just go, go, go. So it's something that um, we are actually emerging ourselves to incorporate in our daily practice beginning this week. So um, I'm, I, I'm very excited to report back on it at some point. Great. Um, so I wanted to close out um, with one plug. If you are a library or museum or you run an after school program, um, you can join the Media Learning Labs Network. And that process, the application process is going to be open at the end of September. So you can keep an eye out on umedia.org for that. Um, I wanted to thank you all so much for taking this day and talking to us and thank everyone if you're watching this. Um, if you want to keep up to date on future opportunities, you can sign up for the monthly newsletter for Educator Innovator at educatorinnovator.org. And you can also follow Educator Innovator on Twitter at innovates underscore ed. Um, thanks again so much, you all. It was so great to talk to you.